Well, welcome to church, everyone. So glad you guys are joining us this morning. For the last couple weeks, um, we've been hanging out in this series called Urban Legends, where we've been looking at these little lies that uh, non-church people, and in fact, many, many church people, people who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, sometimes believe. Now, if you've missed uh, previous parts of this series, not only can you check out the creepy Urban Legends uh, videos, um, but you can catch up by going to our, our YouTube site, First Light South Portland Church of the Nazarene, and you can check those out. But our, our goal in this series ha has really been this. It's to expose some of these spiritual urban legends so we don't fall into the traps that so many people over the years have fallen into. And so we can instead step into the greater things and the greater story that God has for us in this life. Now, today's urban legend is an insidious one. And like the story of the babysitter, it has the power to attack and harm us from the inside. And so as we get started today, let's do this. If you guys could help me out, could everybody in here look at the person on your right, look towards your right right now, and just look at them for a minute. Just stare at them. Awesome. Okay. Now turn to your left and look at the person on your left, if there's someone there, and kind of get a good look at them. And now if you'll just bear with me for a second, if you could turn around, if somebody is sitting behind you, if you could turn around and just take a look at who's sitting behind you right now, just, you know, get somebody in your vision who might be behind you and just go ahead and look at them. All right. Awesome. Awesome. You can turn back here now. Now, here's what I want you to do, okay? I now want you to point to the person who looks like the biggest sinner out of the people you just looked at right now. Go ahead and point to the person. Who's the biggest sinner? Point him out. I see some of you guys pointing, okay? Point him out. Point him out. Point him out. All right. All right. Now, it feels a little bit weird, right? It feels a little bit weird pointing at a person who you're saying is the biggest sinner. In fact, in a lot of churches today, there are a whole bunch of leaders who say, eh, we don't even like that word. We, we, we don't even want to use that word. We don't want to call people sinners. We don't want people to feel bad. We, we want to encourage people. We want to uplift people when they come to church on a Sunday morning. We want to make people, with all the things going on in the world, we want to make people feel better about themselves. Which in some respects, I completely get. I understand that. I think in some respects it's good news because there are a lot of people in the world today who are discouraged and downtrodden and, and they need some encouragement. And I think the church is a powerful place for people to feel encouragement in their life. But, but, if we don't talk about sin and the reality of the sin nature and its destructive power and its eternal consequences... I believe that we as the church are doing an incredible, incredible disservice to people. If we water this down and if we pretend like it's not a big deal, then I believe we are preaching a very, very dangerous message. And here are some examples. I mean, if you look around the world today, what's really scary is that it's becoming more and more increasingly difficult to distinguish people who are followers of Jesus from people who are not. For example, if you look at studies 
in human psychology, in marriage and family psychology, you will find that nearly as many Christians get divorced as non-Christians. If you look at studies involving altruism and generosity, studies show that non-Christians are just as generous. Some studies indicate non-Christians are even more generous than people who claim to be Christians. We talked about tipping last week and how many servers who work in restaurants don't like working on Sunday afternoons, often because of Christians who go to restaurants after church and are really cheap tippers. Just think about that. People who are called to be the most generous people on earth acting like that. It's crazy. If you, if you look at my life from the outside and there is little or no difference in the way that I live my life than someone who doesn't claim to be a follower of Jesus, at some point you're going to have to ask yourself, is there really any difference on the inside? And I think part of the problem today is that many people just want to add a little bit of Jesus into their life. Like you're, you're seasoning a cooking dish, right? And you just want to be balanced, so I'm going to add a little bit of Jesus. You know, I'm still going to be cool and hip and do all the things that I want to do, but on Sunday I'm going to add a little bit of Jesus. We want to add some Jesus without any kind of life change. We want to add some Jesus without subtracting sin. We don't want anything that Jesus teaches us to really change us or to really affect the way that we do life or make us uncomfortable. We want to add Jesus without subtracting sin. And if that's your stance, if that's the way that you're walking and you're living out your Christian faith, I just want to tell you something this morning. You are never going to grow in your spiritual maturity. You are never going to grow in your walk with God with that as your attitude. And this is what spiritual maturity is. If you're taking notes, if you want to jot this down this morning, you can do this. But this is what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity isn't just how much we know. It's how much we obey. Spiritual maturity isn't just how much we know. It's how much we obey. It's not just, hey, I got to go to church on Sunday and occasionally read my Bible, memorize some verses of Scripture. You know, I know all the church lingo. Hallelujah, brother. Welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I have some knowledge about God. I know how to get by. Spiritual maturity isn't about what we have up here. It's about what we have here. It's about how we obey, and it's about how we live out our faith in our lives. And if you're being honest this morning, wouldn't you guys agree that most people who call themselves Christians have been educated far beyond their level of obedience? Wouldn't you agree with that? Let me say that again. Most people who call themselves Christians have been educated about God far beyond their level of obedience to God. We've learned all this stuff. We've gone to Sunday school class and we've been in church long enough, but we don't really actively live out our faith in our lives. Now, today we're going to talk about a very serious spiritual urban legend that deals with this topic of sin 
as we wrap up this series today. And we're going to unpack two different aspects of it. But, but here's the third urban legend. This is our final part in this urban legend series. Here it is. Urban legend number three. Good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. Now let's start to unpack this by looking at the first part of this, this legend. When, when looking at the topic of sin, when you talk to people, you'll hear a statement kind of like that all the time. People will say this, well, you know, I'm not a bad person. There are a lot of bad people in this world, but generally, I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. And overall, I think people by nature are good. We're all pretty good people in this world. Now, you ready for this? That's a lie. That's a lie. Scripture teaches us that that's wrong. The, the reason we need laws the reason we have governments and societies in the world is because by nature, we've discovered over history that that's not true, that people are selfish, that people will consistently make bad choices when they have no rules and they have no boundaries. All of us are sinners. By nature, we are sinful, imperfect, flawed people. You are a sinner. Welcome to First Light South Portland Church, where our goal each week is to increase your self-esteem and make you feel good about yourself on a Sunday morning, right? Look, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm a sinner. The worship team, bunch of sinners, right, Pastor Jim? Bunch, right? Those of you who are parents here, raise your hand if you're a parent, you know your children are sinners, Right? Like, you, you know that. Like, they were not born worrying about you and caring about you. Their focus was all about themselves. Me, me, mine. Feed me, hold me, change me, give me mine. Some of you are seniors here this morning. You're thinking, my adult kids still sound like that. Right? We are born with a sin nature separated from a holy perfect, righteous God, and we are bent towards sin and selfishness. We are by nature imperfect, selfish, sinful people. In fact, this is what scripture says in 1 John 1.8, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible says there is no one who does good not one. We are all sinful. And if we don't recognize that truth, we are in great, great spiritual danger. There's an awesome story in scripture that really illustrates this so well. And it's found in Joshua chapter five. So if you like to get ahead, you can bookmark that in your Bible. We're going to hang out and look at a story today in Joshua chapter five. But before we get there, I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about anticipation, anticipation. Um, one of my favorite restaurants and my wife's absolute favorite restaurant in Maine is called the Sedgley Place, and it's located up north in Green. Have any of you ever been to Sedgley? A couple of you have been there. For those of you who have never gone, it is off the chain, okay? It is a five-course restaurant. It requires a reservation, and they start you off with this amazing 
like cheese and cracker spread, and then you get a wonderful salad, and then you get some appetizer options like shrimp cocktail and French onion soup. Some of you have envisions of heaven right now. I apologize. Lunch is in a couple hours. You'll get there, okay? And then after all of that, they bring out the entree. And one of their entrees is a bacon-wrapped filet mignon steak that literally melts in your mouth like butter, okay? I know there's a couple of you in here who are vegan or vegetarian. That's all good. I would just say that if God had intended us to be vegan, he would not have made cows delicious, okay? I just want to point that out. I like meat, and I cannot lie. Some other pastors may deny. So I get excited when we have an opportunity to go to Sedgley Place, and a, a beautiful, wonderful couple from this church invited my wife and I for Pastor Appreciation Month last month to go to Sedgley Place. They found out. They knew it was our, our place, and so they took us to dinner. And I was anticipating dinner that night, like all week long. On the day that Julie and I were going, I didn't eat that day. I skipped breakfast. I skipped lunch. I was just so excited about what was coming for dinner. Every one of us has had a time in our life where we we're excited about something. You know, maybe thinking back, you remember Christmas Eve as a kid, right? You remember how excited you were and Christmas morning you'd wake up at like 3 a.m. in the morning and you would go in your parents' room and you would wake them up and they would beat you to like 7 a.m. for waking them up and, and then you finally got to open your presents. You remember that? For married people, like you remember your wedding. You remember when you got married. For the women in here, you know, you dreamed. You maybe dreamed of that moment since you were like six years old and saw Cinderella, right? For the men, you lied about being excited about that day, right? Men, what were you excited about? The honeymoon, that's right. Am I lying? I'm not lying. Pastor's not lying this morning. So look, I just got to be real with you guys this morning. When we started planning this Urban Legends series, I got really excited. I got filled with anticipation about today's message this last part of this series where we're landing the plane. And the reason I got so pumped is because I believe in my heart of hearts that God is going to use this message today to significantly impact the spiritual lives of some people in our church. I believe that God is looking to meet some of you in a way that you have never been met by God before. I believe that somebody here is on the brink of a breakthrough in their spiritual life. I believe that with all my heart. And I, along with the staff of this church, we've been praying for that for all of you. So I hope you guys buckle up today. Now, with that said, let's dive into the story from Scripture, Joshua chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5, picking up in verse 13. And here's what it says. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, when we first meet Joshua in Scripture, he's just like an ordinary dude, okay? A lot of people think 
that in order to have a spiritual breakthrough, in order to really be close to God and connect with God, you have to be a very super spiritual person. You have to be like a theologian and have gone to seminary and have multiple PhDs, you know, in Greek and Hebrew and, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. Someone who knows all the answers to be known and has the Bible memorized and their life like perfectly together. But let me tell you something. The only thing that made Joshua unique from the rest of his peers was that he just believed that God was a really big God who could be trusted. That's what made him different. He believed that God was a really big God who could be trusted, that God could be trusted to to do what he said that he was going to do. God's not looking for super spiritual people. God's looking for ordinary people willing to trust him. And now Jericho is really significant in the Bible. And if you grew up in church, you probably know this. But when God led the people out of, you know, enslavement to Egypt and Pharaoh and through the wilderness and eventually led them into the promised land, uh, Jericho is this very first major battle that the Israelites faced. And at this time in history, Moses had just died and Joshua was the newly appointed leader of the Israelites. And as Joshua prepared for this battle, God spoke to Joshua and told him to do something crazy. But again, Joshua believed in a really big God who could be trusted. And so Joshua just was obedient and he listened. And here's what God told Joshua to do. He told Joshua to have the people march around this city of Jericho that had these fortified walls that were viewed at the time as being impenetrable, the most impenetrable city ever. Their defenses were too strong. But God said, I want you to march around the city once a day for six straight days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times with your worship team. And they're going to lead worship and they're going to blow some trumpets. And the walls are going to fall down. And Jericho was this significant spiritual event, milestone in Joshua's life when Joshua trusted God at Jericho and it sent his faith into the stratosphere, like into a whole new level. But before Joshua got to that point at Jericho, he had to recognize the truth that was in front of him. And this is our first point today. Number one, if we want our relationship with God to go to the next level, number one, we need to recognize. We need to recognize. So Joshua, as he's walking near Jericho before this battle, Joshua saw a man holding a drawn sword. And this is what he asks him, continuing in verse 13. Joshua went up to him and he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Are you for us or for our enemies? So Joshua is preparing for the battle. He's walking, he's scoping the area. Maybe he's getting his run in in the morning. He's got his playlist playing Eye of the Tiger, right? Bump, 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 bump. And he's just moving along, pumping himself up. And he sees this guy with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, in that culture, if you saw someone holding a drawn sword, they usually meant business. This was not some poser from a Renaissance festival. 
reenacting a scene from The Princess Bride. My name is Iago Matoya. You kill my father, prepared to die, okay? This dude was serious. So Joshua goes up to him and he's like, yo, dude, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for them? Because you look serious. I'd like for you to be on our side. Now, Joshua had seen God do a lot of things. He'd seen God rescue the Israelites from Pharaoh, part the Red Sea, all that kind of stuff to get them to the promised land. But he didn't recognize in that moment who he was speaking to. Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Really quickly, who is the commander of the army of the Lord? Now, we're in church, so I'll give you a hint. What's usually the right answer to a church question 99% of the time when a pastor asks it in church? What's the answer? Jesus, that's correct. Jesus makes several Old Testament appearances, and biblical scholars, many biblical scholars believe that this is one of those appearances. So Jesus shows up, and Joshua is so caught up with stuff and the battle coming up that he completely doesn't realize who he's talking to, and he's like, what side are you on? And Jesus replies, neither. I don't pick sides. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I am the side. If you're in me, you have life. Apart from me is death. And the reason many Christians don't experience the greater things of God is because we don't recognize who Jesus is. We have a Sunday school view of Jesus. This guy who looks like a hippie wearing a toga holding a little lamb. Church, let me tell you something this morning. Let me clarify this for you. Jesus wasn't a wuss. He was a warrior king. He is a warrior king. And scripture tells us that one day he's coming back. So make no mistake because there will be a day of judgment and he will return. And scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. So my first question for you today is this. Have you ever had a moment of recognition in your life? Have you ever had a moment of recognition in your life? See, church, unless we recognize ourselves as sinners separated from a holy God, we will never see our need for a Savior. If we don't recognize that we are separated from a holy, perfect, righteous God by our sinfulness, we will not see our need for a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior. For so many of us, it feels so good to say, I'm not that bad of a person as we compare ourselves to other people. In a couple weeks, Thanksgiving is coming, and some of us are going to be sitting around a table, maybe with some extended family, and there's always one or two black sheep in the family, and you're going to look around the table, and you're going to be like, I'm not as bad as them. Not as bad as him, not as bad as her. His life is a mess. Her life is a mess. I'm doing pretty good. We might see a celebrity on TV whose life blows up and falls apart, and we're like, at least I'm not doing that. See, when we compare ourselves to other people, we don't feel so bad. But if we compare ourselves to a perfect, 
holy God, all of a sudden we realize this about ourselves. Isaiah 64, 6 says it like this. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now, how bad is that? Well, actually, in, in the Hebrew language, these filthy rags that they're referring to were actually pretty gross. They're referring to the rags that women would use during that period in history while they were on their menstrual cycle. That's pretty gross, right? Isaiah says that our, our best attempts at righteousness, trying to be good people, is like that in the eyes of God. In other words, it's a very polite way of saying, y'all are nasty, is what he's telling us. And again, we're not perfect. Raise your hand this morning if you are without sin. Nobody, right? Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Look around the room. Raise your hand if you've sinned in the last year. Keep it up. Last month, last week, on your way driving to church this morning. See, look at that. Lots of sinners here this morning, okay? We are all sinful people in the eyes of a holy God. And unless we recognize that, we will not see our need for a Savior, for Jesus. If we fail to recognize, we will never follow. Number one, we need to recognize. Last one, point number two. If we recognize, we need to submit. We need to submit. Recognition of who Jesus is, honest recognition of who Jesus is, will always lead to submission to what he wants. When we truly see him for who he is, we don't have a problem doing what he says. See, the reason so many Christians have problems submitting to Jesus is because they don't see who he is. In this story, though, Joshua finally sees who Jesus is. Picking up in verse 14, check out Joshua's reaction. Then Joshua fell what? Face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He was obedient. Joshua finally recognized who he was in the presence of, and he completely submitted to him. And Joshua, going all in with Jesus, would eventually prepare him to see the greater things that God was going to show him at Jericho. See, church, being a Christian doesn't mean I prayed a prayer to get out of hell. Being a Christian means saying, Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you tell me to go. So here's my second question for you today. Are you completely submitted to Jesus in your life? Are you completely submitted to Jesus in your life? Or are there areas in your life where you've told Jesus, keep your hands off? Well, how can I know that, Pastor? Simple. What topics in church do you get angry about? What topics in church do you get angry about? How about sexual purity? Whenever we talk about purity, there's always some crumb who's going to be like, baby, don't listen to that. 
Don't listen to that. We are married in our hearts. No, you're not. You're married in your pants. And you're just trying to use her and get what you want without any commitment and without any responsibility. Last week, we talked about money. We talked about placing God first with your treasure and your finances. And some people go, I hate it when the church talks about money. They just want my money. If you get mad about that topic, that is probably an area of your life that's not submitted to Jesus. We talk about baptism. There are people in this church who have been going to church for years and have never gone public with their faith in baptism. They won't do it. What are the areas in your life that are not submitted to Jesus? Because here's the deal about obedience to God or disobedience, which is called sin, by the way. It influences things. And here's what it influences. First of all, obedience influences our rewards in heaven. Scripture is clear about this. We don't know exactly how, but it states that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're obedient to Christ, Scripture says there will be rewards in heaven. And that's great news. That's awesome. But secondly, our obedience or our disobedience, it influences our consequences here on earth. See, all sin separates us from a holy, perfect God, but different sin can have different earthly impact in our lives. Some sins you commit probably are not going to wreck your life instantaneously. Other sins could have large and immediate consequences. For example, let's say I was running late to church today, and so I came down Highland Avenue going 15 miles over the speed limit, and I get pulled over by the police. And our wonderful officers at South Portland Police Department hand me a speeding ticket. I sinned. I was wrong. But chances are, you guys would all forgive me and I would still be your pastor on Sunday. On the other hand, if I was bored one day and Pastor TJ and I started binge-watching Breaking Bad on Netflix and we decided to steal all the money from the church and open a meth lab and join a nudist colony... First of all, that'd be nasty. Second of all, I would no longer be your pastor. And my marriage would probably be over. There would be severe consequences for that sin than for the sin of speeding. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, let me just say one more thing on this topic of sin. The most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians. The most miserable people in the world are Christians living in sin and disobedience to God. Some of you right now, you know this because you're living it. You come to church, you wear a mask, you pretend like everything's okay, but on the inside, you're dying from your sins. And why is sin so destructive? Because it is incredibly insidious and progressive in its nature. It seems small and inconsequential one moment, and then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it steals and it kills and it destroys everything that matters to the heart of God. It's progressive. It may start small, but it grows and it leads ultimately to destruction. Here's how James, the brother of Jesus, explained it in James 1, 14 and 15. He said this, each person is tempted 
And when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what have we learned today in this cheerful, uplifting message in church? What we've learned is that good people don't go to heaven because there are no perfect good people. All of us are sinners separated from a perfect, holy God. And we learn that the consequences of sin is what's the last word in the scripture? Death. Physical death and spiritual death. Separation. Eternal separation from a holy, perfect God. But here's the good news, church. And I want to leave you with good news this morning. Here's the good news. While it's true that good people don't go to heaven, the good news is this. Forgiven people do. Forgiven people do. And spiritual maturity is not just about how much we know. It's about how much we obey. And so that leaves us with this final question today. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, Scripture says we repent. We repent. What does that mean, Pastor? To repent means to turn back to God. To turn back away from our life of sin, to turn back into a relationship with God. And it's all about the re in that word repent. See, when you return to God, when you repent of your sins, when you receive Jesus, your spirit will be reborn, your mind will be renewed, your life will be rebuilt. It's all about returning to the ways of God. And can I just tell you that when you experience the freedom in Christ, you won't want to ever live your old way of life in sin anymore. When, when you decide to go all in with Jesus, as CISO said earlier during our baptism time, when you decide to go all in with Jesus, when you decide to give him first place in your life, when it's not just about head knowledge, but it drops six inches into your heart and you say, God, you can have it all. I'm willing to obey. I love you. Help me to make you first in everything. I don't want you to just be my savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. When you get to that place of obedience, God is going to do something remarkable. He is going to start to transform you from the inside out. You're going to be different than other people around you as he makes that change in you. And you're going to also have the power of something else. With the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're going to have the power to have victory over sin in your life. You don't have to be a prisoner of sin for your whole life. But filled with his spirit, you can pursue holiness. You can live a sanctified life as you become more and more and more and more like your Savior, Jesus. So if you've never taken that step before, I, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. To say, God, I, I don't want to just be saved. I want to be sold out for you. I'm all in. Can we pray together, church? with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for your grace, for your mercy that is greater than anything that we could imagine, greater than even the power of sin. 
God, we thank you for new life that is available to those who turn to you. God, as we pray this morning, here's what I want us to do. In your mind right now, I know a message like this will land a lot of different ways with a lot of different people, but in your mind right now, I want you to give a name to the dominant area of sin that might be affecting your life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness that you're holding against somebody. Maybe it's just a rebellious heart or critical attitude. Maybe it's a desire to control everything. But I just want you to give a name to it. And then I want you to take it to God today and I want you to humbly ask him. Imagine in your mind like Joshua that you were just falling down on your face and you were humbly asking him to forgive you. And we're gonna pray that God removes that barrier so that you can grow closer to him and be more faithful to him and that you can change and you can step into the greater things that he has for you in this life. And so as you reflect on that right now, if something came to mind, if, if God's Holy Spirit just brought something to your mind and you would say, yes, God is showing me one or more area of sin in my life that I just need to surrender today to him. I just need to give that to him. If that's you today and you see that destructive power in your life and it's an obstacle, it is hindering you from your relationship with God and where it should be, would you just lift a hand right now and say, God, this is the barrier in my life. God, I see it. I lay it at your feet. Would you just lift your hand high, boldly, courageously. God, I am humbly falling on my face before you. I love you. This is the barrier, God. Will you see it? Will you take it away? Praise God. I thank, thank you, Lord, for the people of this church. I love my church. People who aren't fake, people who don't wear masks, people who are real. So many hands up this morning. Teenagers, adults, seniors. God, take this away. All over the place, hands. Wow. Thank you for your courage and honesty. Let me pray for you. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us for these sins. God, we thank you that in Jesus, you tell us there is forgiveness. God, we confess our sins to you and we thank you for your promise in your word in scripture that whoever confesses their sins and repents and turns to you, that you are God who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we keep praying today, I'm gonna to challenge you again to not just leave it at this confession to God, but I'm gonna challenge you to go and to confess to someone else. Scripture says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. So right now, as you continue to pray, I want you to think of a person in your mind to ask God to bring a person into your mind who you could confess to. A person who would pray for you. A person who might help to keep you accountable in that area of sin in your life. It might be someone from your small group, if you're part of a small group community. It might be a spouse. If you're a student in here, it might be a parent, a small group leader, a close friend you trust, 
Decide now who you're going to confess to and commit that to God. Say, God, I'm going to confess so that I can be held accountable by another person for this decision that I made today to repent and to be healed. We continue praying today. There are some of you here, and you grew up in church. I mean, you, you've, you've called yourself a Christian, but if you're really honest today, you would acknowledge that you don't know the reality of the power of Jesus in your life, that you aren't following Jesus. For others of you, just the fact that you're in church today or watching online right now, it's like, wow. I mean, you're afraid that if you walk into a church building, it might burn down if you walked in. You feel like you carry that much baggage with you in your past, that God could never forgive you, that God could never want you, that you would need to clean up your life before you could ever know God. And let me just tell you very bluntly, you will never get clean enough. You will never get clean enough. You are an imperfect sinner just like the rest of us here today. But the good news is, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Forgiven people do. That's why God sent his son Jesus, because he loves us and he knew that we needed a savior. And Jesus lived a sinless life. That's why he was able to be the perfect sacrifice for us as he willingly went to the cross and died for our sins. But he didn't stay dead because God raised him from the dead. And now scripture says, whoever calls on his name will be saved, not might be saved, will be saved. You cannot be saved by good works or religious ritual or activities or cleaning up your life. The Bible says it is only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that you can be forgiven and saved. For some of you, God has brought you here today for this particular reason, that today is your day to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer. And there's nothing magical about this at all. It is simply you just speaking what's in your mind and your heart right now to say, God, forgive me, change me. God, make me brand new through a relationship with you. So if that's you today, if you want to receive Jesus today as your Savior and your Lord, would you just have five seconds of incredibly bold courage? And would you just lift a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me this morning? I need Jesus in my life. I need to receive Jesus today. Praise God, I see that. Other others this morning. I don't want to let this moment slip by because I think this is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. I see somebody else. I see someone else. Is there anybody else? Praise God. Another hand. Praise God. Let's pray this morning. For those of you who are followers of Christ, you can pray along with, with these folks who are making decisions this morning. Would you simply pray something like this? Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for meeting me right where I am. God, today I acknowledge I am not perfect. I am a sinner in need of a savior. But today I want to move my faith off of myself. And I want to put my faith onto a savior, onto Jesus Christ, my savior and my Lord. 
I believe that you love me, God. I believe you sent Jesus to die for all my sins. And I believe that he rose again, that he is the son of God. And like Joshua did today, I fall down on my face and I repent. I want to turn away from my old life and I want to step into a brand new life and a brand new relationship, a personal relationship with you, God, through your son, Jesus. God, help me to know how to do that. And I might make some mistakes along the way, but God, I'm gonna keep walking with you day by day, step by step. God, I love you, and I'm gonna love you for the rest of my life and into eternity. Thank you again for loving me first. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate some decisions this morning? Praise God. Praise God. As the worship team leads us, let's stand and let's sing together. If, if there's some things you need to pray about, some things you need to get right with God, as always, these altars are open. You can come forward. You can pray. Um, we want to just acknowledge what God is doing in our church today. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see.
God's praise than when we first began. God is good all the time. What a good day to be at church. What a good service. It's always good when people are baptized. I wish we could do that every week. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your spirit and your presence here today. We thank you for what a great day of worship and celebration and lives changed, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your grace that is always upon us. Lord, teach us to continue to lean into that. Lord, we thank you for your love and your presence in our lives, Lord. And I just pray for each person and each family here this morning. As we go out into the week, Lord, into our jobs, into schools, into all the places that we go, Lord, may we carry your presence with us. May we be a light in the dark places through your spirit, through your power. We pray these things in your name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun.